Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Not much. I'm good. I'm excited that we've got a rap on rap coming out this week. You and I just went, what, 30 minutes talking about some random topics about thrillers and whatnot. So more content coming for our patrons. Yeah, in pre-pro, I, I kind of went heavy on my guy. I had this uh, burning question. Maybe maybe we'll turn it into a full pod about do thrillers constitute high art and uh, and what, what their place in high art is. And, and we sort of went we, we went deep on it. So I, I, think, I think there's more to parse out there and, and discuss. So, Are they literature or are they trashy beach reads? Who knows? That's, that's the question. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, what's new with you? How you doing? I'm doing good. Um, oh, actually, I got out. I golfed yesterday. Oh, okay. A little winter fall fall winter golf. Okay. Yeah. Um, my friend Jeremy, who's a he's a nurse anesthetist, he texted me and said, "Hey, I'm off tomorrow. You you want to golf?" And I was like, "Sure, why not?" It was actually beautiful weather. Nice. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind the cold golf. It's it wasn't too cold. You know, it was like high 40s mid to high 40s so no wind which is great i'm surprised because my experience has been the opposite i've not been enjoying the fall winter golf my scores are plummeting so i'm getting more angry that's a part of it Mm. i'll admit but um, are you cursing maybe (laughs) what i tell you when you don't curse you play better dude that's why i need my podcast partner with me when i golf but (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. Not as enjoyable. I'd rather have that nice uh, spring, summer, seven, yeah, seventies, eighties, sunny day. Haven't been enjoying the uh, the golfing in the forty degrees. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe if we get a good, uh, you're off for a co- like two weeks over Christmas. Maybe we get some decent weather. We can get out here. Yeah, we always get that just random nice day or a nice couple of day stretch out of out of the blue. You know, midwinter, mid dark days. Yeah, I remember like a couple years ago, I was down for Christmas, and like on Christmas, it was like 70 degrees, and I only packed like, because living in Ithaca, I only packed like, you know, winter clothes for Christmas, and I I wore shorts to freaking Christmas mass. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> it was global warming at its best. So. Well, you know, if you get weather like that, you know what you could wear? A Mitrap Pod t-shirt. Mm, you could. Because great we- give, Great gifts. Great gifts. Great gifts for the holidays. We are still giving away one Mitrap Pod t-shirt to our newest patron. I think we announced that last week on our Order to Kill After Hours episode. So still hoping to see anybody at patreon.com slash Pod, And the next person to sign up will gift a free t-shirt. And your donation will not only help support the podcast, so Chris and I can keep doing what we do, it will also go to a good cause. Chris, I just put another 12 books in the mail to one of our troops uh, currently deployed. Very nice. A care package of 12 thrillers. I think there were 10 Vince Flynn. I think I stuck in one or two Tom Clancy's, some paperbacks that I had. So 12 books on the way out to the front lines. Very nice. Very nice. Have we have we hit that 500 bookmark? We haven't gotten there. We are hovering around we're 400. Close, right? So oh, we're at 400. Oh, we hit the 400 mark. Okay. Yes, we hit 400, but I want to see if we get to 500 books ships out, uh, shipped out to the troops. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Yes.
So, speaking of literature and books, we have to talk about a book that we previously talked about. You had a nice, very nice interview with, uh, unfortunately I couldn't make it, I had some, some things come up, but with Eric Bishop and his book, The Body Man. And, you know, we hope you guys have gotten a chance to uh, get out there, buy this. Um, it's his first book being published. And actually, so today's episode is, was recorded at the same time as Mike's interview. Um, he sort of went deep, a little bit of 30 extra spoiler-filled minutes at the end. And we thought it was, you know, it was cool. It was, it was, it was nice content. So, and I've had a chance to read. I'm almost done with all of it. Sorry, I, I had a crazy Thanksgiving. I wanted to get it done. I wanted to give you my, my final takes on it. But I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, what did you think, Mike? Have you ever really said, like, besides it's, it's a good book? Yeah, no, great book. And um, that's why we want to bring you some spoilers with Eric. So right now, turn it off. Stop listening if you yeah. haven't finished The Body Man. Because Chris and I are going to get into some things. And we'll have Eric back on. Ask him some questions uh, about the nitty-gritty of the book and some choices he made. So, no, I, I loved it. And something you, you're going to hear I talked about with Eric was, and we like about Vince and Kyle's writing, is how realistic it could be, right? Yes. This is a fiction story, but come on. The Sanctum, bro? How wild is this idea of the Sanctum? That that was pretty crazy. Like, is it just the mafia? No, it's like this international high-end cartel for the elite to get whatever services they need. I'm even talking like medical services. I asked Eric about how he came up with this idea for black market surgeries so that assassins and various organized crime groups could have their people patched up without being on the books anywhere in the world at a moment's notice. It's like this car this cartel or sanctum is running some pretty nasty stuff. It reminded me again, we were talking about James Bond before the before the pod, but it reminded me of like Spectre and, you know, like this super intense or, you know, Mission Impossible, like the uh the syndicate, you know, like these these vast international crime organizations. And you, you could imagine like Spectre having something like that, you know, or or um the syndicate having something like that. And or, you know, you see it in these movies where they look into the underground and it was just cool to read, read about that in the pages. And I, I hadn't, we haven't never seen something like that before. Right. I will say one thing. So when I was reading this book, obviously he said he's written a couple, right. In in his interview with you, this is the first one to get published. Right. I was like, I wasn't like critiquing more so than what I do with, with Kyle, probably, probably a little bit more. Cause it was his first, first time around, but I liked, I thought the flow of the book you know, went well and the writing was good. I've, I've read some, you know, Amazon sort of pushes these, um, cause they see that I buy thrillers. They push like the free, you know, thriller authors, the, the first book in the series. Ho hopefully, you know, there's right. 10 more. Hopefully they get me to buy them. They're all like one ninety nine or whatever. And I will say like, I have gotten pushed and I've gotten like tier one was one of those books. And I thought tier one was very good. Another one I read, I won't say it. Um, was not very good. You're not going to pick up another <laughs> one. Exactly. Yeah, no, I was reading and I was like, geez, the writing is awful on this. But I will say, Eric Bishop, pretty good. One thing I, I, I was picking up on, and, but I kind of liked it, was his attention to detail in terms of like naming things. Yes. And in the first couple chapters, you know, he, he, he makes a deliberate choice to name like the car that he drives. Right. And, and, and he has like this, uh, the, the guy, the body man has, has an, as a, what is it, both a, a Nissan, 
and like another car that's that's like fancy and then there was this one line that i thought was funny where like he's been being fed a, a snickers <laughs> and he's like un, like unlike it, what it says it it doesn't fill me up you know or something like that it doesn't doesn't make me not angry or something like that instead of I just, just a candy bar right exactly um and putting those real world things in uh, made it more i don't know in, in, interesting and entertaining to me so yeah, well it almost brings like the the fabric or the texture of the universe alive you know books can only activate really one sense but when you do things like that you can smell it you could taste it you could feel it you know the size of that candy bar or that car right there was a car accident is a lot different than saying a jeep wrangler was going 80 miles an hour had no doors on it and smashed into an 18 wheeler or whatever you know you just picture that so much different than a truck ran a car ran into a truck. So Right, exactly. You can visualize what a Jeep Wrangler looks like because we know what those look like. Right. Yeah. Right. And something else, speaking of the names that we bring up, I ask him, dude must have lived in DC. And he said, No, oh, but he did sure. a lot of work in DC. Oh, and really? He spent a lot of time here living he lived in Richmond. You're gonna hear about it. But man, he's driving down one twenty three in Virginia. They're going to the diner in Adams Morgan. Uh, Cafe Bonaparte in Wisconsin Avenue in Georgetown. He he right. just nailed like all of these locations. And that's something we said we loved about Vince's early writing. Uh, we found so many connections to you growing up in D.C., me living here now for 15 plus years, whatever it is, 14. We just found all of that spot on. And when you get that right, it just means so much to a reader that's familiar with that area. And and Eric got a lot of it right. Yeah, and I, I would I would argue that probably even if you're not familiar with the area, like let's say you read it and then you come to the area and then like you remember that book, it, it makes you think better of that author. Right. Because I Vince never, to my knowledge, didn't didn't live here, right? I, I don't think lived, but I, I'd imagine spent some time with his research, his contacts. I don't know. No, but like you, you could definitely tell Vince did his research on the city. Right. And Remember even, term limits? The helicopter scene? Oh, my scene? God. Like everything was perfect. Yeah. And that's the attention to detail. Like there's there's a lot of these authors that go to that detail. Uh, Brad Thor does this and, and describing, you know, I just think of like Lions of Lucerne when you know describing and i've never i've never been to burn or you know or lucerne but then obviously that got me interested about it so i went right. and googled this stuff and everything he said was 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 accurate because he yep. did his research right and it made the book so much more vivid and then when i got to see it on the wikipedia page and looking at pictures and his description of it it was like Wow, like it. I, I I imagine that, and now I see it. You know, I, I don't know. Just it. It's a little bit extra special. Yeah. So it's the small details like that, but it's also the big details where you're like, hmm, I don't know if that's true, but it sounds really plausible. And that happens as well here with the oil rigs. Dude, mm. can you think of a cooler setting for nefarious shit to be happening than abandoned oil rigs, like? I don't know, 20, 40 miles offshore into the Gulf. Like, I, the, he's got, he's got to be right that that's involved in human trafficking, drug trafficking, weapons trading. That's like undocumented real estate right there for you to be doing whatever you want. And to me, that's that's cooler than some like private island, Agreed. you know? Right. Because, I mean, yeah, I guess private islands exist, but like, I don't know. For some reason, I like the oil rigs better. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Eric, I mean, you're going to hear it does say no research on that, but he's pretty certain there are certain things going on with these abandoned oil rigs being neglected. But well, when when there's something being neglected, it's going to be someone else's, you know, den of thieves. Exactly. So I guess I was I haven't gotten to the end, but where do you think uh the next story goes? Right. And I was so glad Eric brought this up. There is more on the way. And I don't think I'm spoiling too much, Chris, but there's definitely a cliffhanger. For folks who, for some reason, are listening to these spoilers and hasn't, haven't read the book um, or haven't finished the book, you're going to find out there is a cliffhanger and there is more for the body man. And in fact, the role of the body man is also going to shift. What happens when the general public finds out or certain elements in the government find out there's an unelected official with the power and authority to influence the office of the presidency, obviously to protect it. That's the whole point of the body man. But the body man essentially has the authority and the resources to prevent the president from doing something or force the president to do something if they feel it's in the best interest of the office of the presidency. Right. And can the can the public swallow that? Will will that lead to some murky, complex situations if someone has that authority outside the bounds of the law and outside the bounds of the electoral process? This doesn't happen for real, right? Like, <laughs> right. So, I was I was actually a little confused about it at first because the body man is a real thing. And it's usually, though, just an aide. Usually it's like a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or, or something who carries the president's glasses, um, gets him a cup of water, usually opens doors sometimes. You know, just someone who shuffles like papers. They'll have a clipboard. The president doesn't have a pen. Hand him a pen and then just scoot off to the side. Like in West Wing, it was Charlie, just mm. one of the best, favorite, everybody's favorite characters. But – there is this thing called the body man that I think presidents going back to maybe Carter or Reagan, they had. But this is not that. <laughs> this is right. a whole different right. game. So I was confused by his choice of the term the body man for this role. But I think very early on in the book, well, no, he hints at the body man, but you don't get until about halfway or maybe even two-thirds of the way through what Eric Bishop's idea is of the body man. is is very different. No, exactly. Yeah. So overall, I thought it was, you know, even though I haven't finished it, I, I thought it was a very good book, um, very good first book. Uh, I'm excited. I'm intrigued to read more. So, yeah, looking forward to part two of The Body Man. Yeah. So enjoy this next about roughly 30 minutes. Eric and I chatting, spoiler-filled conversation uh, about the book. Oh, also, it will sound a little weird because we recorded <laughs> before publication. So um, now that the book's been out, by the way, Huge, huge publication for Eric. His book is already international. People have been posting on social media from many countries that where they've taken his book or purchased his book. And so that's just pretty cool to hear somebody go from, you know, full-time job, writing as a hobby, sticking it out over the course of years, pretty much a decade, and finally getting over that hump that now he is an international author, published author. You know what else I realized? Eric Bishop is our first two-time repeat guest on the podcast. We had two author series episodes covering his book, The Body Man. So 
That's pretty cool. Congrats to you, Eric. You are not only a published author, international selling, you're also a two-time guest of Mitrat Pod. All right, well, we're back here with Eric. Hopefully, publication day went real well for you. You know, we're recording this. I'm sure it did. <laughs> the same time as our interview, but we wanted to talk about some spoilers, giving you guys some time to get the book, breeze through it, and uh, digest it. And now we're gonna we're gonna pick your brain a little deeper here. So go for it. You come up with some cool stuff here, but I think the Sanctum is one of the coolest creations that you made. Where did the idea of this organization come from and how close to reality do you think what you made in a fantasy thriller book actually matches up with something that's out there? Yes. So another thing I can thank President Obama for was basically under Obama, they they made it illegal to run black sites. So I had an interaction and I won't name drop. I had an interaction with a very well-known number one New York Times bestseller. Um, when I was writing this and I was kind of, I was talking about the black sites. And so I was messaging this person and I'm like, man, I don't buy that, um, that they got rid of them. And this, you know, they said, this person said, no, I mean, they're illegal. They're not doing it. And I was like, well, then I think it was outsourced. And they're like, you're probably pretty smart. (laughs) And so um, I was like, there's some, so that's when I created Sanctum. I was like, okay, I need an organization out there because I need I need the body man to be tortured. I need to have some bad things happen to the body man to get some information. And if it's illegal to, to, to have black sites, um, I've got to find a way around that. And that one was, an, that was an easy fix then at that point, because I believe in capitalism. I believe in the free market. Um, and even though the sanctum is a Russian outfit and they don't believe in that, they do believe in money. So if, and they're huge organized crime and uh, sorry, Vladimir, but we know it's true. Um, and uh, yeah, I figured they would be a good, I was also trying to find a good bad guy. Um, and, and what would they do or what would they not do? So that's why, that's how the sanctum came into existence. Um, where I decided to put the, um, uh, the site uh, for where the torture takes place or the, the, the facility takes place that was actually another thing that I just stumbled across in research is all these oil platforms oil rigs, out in the yeah. Gulf of Mexico. Um, and they really are from, you know, from what I could research and from talking to some folks, um, no one, you know, no one deep classified, but um, they really are used for nefarious purposes, not probably yeah. many of them, um, but it, it's perfectly set up to be that way because right. that's, you know, clearly the cartel can go across the Gulf of Mexico in boats or whatever, and you have these platforms that are left there for years, and there's so many of them, we don't have the staff to have them, you know, inspected on a regular basis right. or patrolled or guarded. So um, I actually read, and I, you know, again, I, the best I could confirm it was it was actually heavily used in the sex trade, um, that these platforms are used as a waypoint from people coming from South America That's and they're bringing wild. them up. And where they're bringing them is Atlanta, Georgia. And that, you know, I'm not too far from Atlanta. I'm, I was just there actually sa- uh, Saturday uh, this past week. Um, but it's one of those things that you, you, as a writer, you're looking for plot lines and story. And then you read some of the stuff and you're like, is this really the world I live in that people are doing this kind of stuff? Um, I read that particularly about the oil rigs. And I was like, that's straight out of something like Brad Thor, where he's he's connected 
right? He, he even said on a few interviews, he, he can't travel to Russia or other places because some people you know, take offense to what he's written in some of his books. Exactly. But he's always on the mark. You know, he's a storyteller and this is fiction, but you read one of his books and you almost feel more informed about something in geopolitics or like Vince Flynn, you you feel more informed about what's going on behind the scenes on Capitol Hill. Right. Even though it's a a fantastical story, when you had the oil rigs and the lawlessness and, and mentioned the sex trade and these black sites that we rent out, I'm like, this is happening like this. Like we might not know it. We might not have open, right. clear evidence of it, but you're onto something like storytellers of this genre. Often, I think, are telling stories about our world and sometimes sure. they don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to think I'm wrong and I made up right. a good story, but my gut feeling says this is one. this. Maybe not 100 percent. There's a really good chance this is how this works. Right. Um. So there was something, and I read it somewhere again. I, this, I did the research for this so many years ago that I really wish I had that brain in my head still so I could be great on these interviews, remember it. But um, one point in the, in the thing, I mentioned Bush in the, uh, the Gulf War, and I mentioned the Ark, which I read an article somewhere that said we had an old tanker, uh, some kind of a t- tanker or some kind of a, a shipping thing that they converted to a prison, which I think some movies have done. I think there's some Hollywood movies that they've, they've done that with Stallone or, or Schwarzenegger right. or something too. But um, so it wasn't that necessarily um, creative on my part, but, um, but I referenced that as saying, you know, well, but again, that was a U.S. facility, the Ark, right. which they can't have anymore. I think we did that so with that's why black we, sites too, before we really opened up some of the facilities when they were first right. searching for places like shortly after September 11th in Southeast Asia, we had a few sites. I feel like a few of them were floating or mobile for a while. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't, there's so much corruption in this world, whether it's our government, other governments, and you know, some of these third world nations, I'm sure if someone from the CIA shows up with a duffel bag full of hundred dollar bills and says, we need this building for the next six months. um, You got it. You know, they're probably going to say a second duffel bag. (laughs) You know, they might ask for more money but they're going to do whatever we ask them to do. Um, so yeah, it, it makes for good fodder, but I, you know, there's definitely, I think there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of truth in it too. So that's, that's where I came up with it. And that's, I, I think I was onto something with, with that stuff, but the, the sanctum heavily factors into the second book. I will tell you too, since okay. this is, since this is the spoiler version of the show. Um, uh, basically in the start of the second book, the president starts operation red star and operation red star is to take the, take down the sanctum. Right. And you hinted goals. that in the final chapter as well. Yeah. And that's where we pick up in the second book where um, there's a war going on. It's a, it's a secret war. Mm-hmm. It's a quiet war, but there's mm-hmm. a war going on. And where I, where I kind of make it interesting and try to draw it in a lot more is the sanctum has direct ties all the way up to the top in the Vatican, in, in, in um, uh, Russia, in, in the Kremlin. So, so then you're walking a fine line. Um, because are you going after, you know, are you going after the, the Russian president's people? Is it the I Russian mean, government or is it the mafia? Is it organized? Well, exactly. Crime? So that's Who where, again, like we were talking probably earlier, both. probably both. And that's where we we're talking earlier is when I write these, I want to try to make a good story, but I also want to get people thinking about stuff. And how does all this work? And, and how do these players, you know, they actually get along or not get along? And, you know, how close are we actually to World War III? Um, we're probably already started it, honestly, but um, it's digital now. So, yeah. 
here's one. What about the medical offices and the surgery? Because that was really inventive. Because I sometimes do wonder, you see in these movies, all these shootouts, and then an hour later, that person's walking around fully recovered or, you know, all these bystanders. It's like having this black site for these undercover deep operatives, as long as you could pay the fee, you'll get right. an off the books medical procedure done and not, you know, shoddily done, you know, in a garage somewhere, but at a high class facility. Is, is this something you think like the wealthy global elite, something that Kyle Mills is starting to write about in his books with uh, Enemy at the Gates? Yeah. That seemed entirely plausible. This global elite that as long as they splash the cash can get emergency services like a gunshot wound covered up without anybody in the public or the press ever hearing about it. Yes. So, yes, I think they're real. I have no evidence to prove that they're real. Um, it makes sense. It to- Well, I-, I needed a logical. To me, it made sense. If you have a- an organization like the Sanctum that's as ruthless as they are, um, they would shoot you and patch you up if they can make money off it. Right. Um, so to me, it made a logical sense to just keep the same organization that has this. Cause I mean, you know, you're just doubling your revenue streams. There you go. We'll, we'll torture you. And then, you know, the next day we'll strap you to a gurney and, you know, remove all those things, all those drill bits we put in your body. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take them back out for you <laughs> and we'll charge you $74,000 cash. And then we'll reuse so. those bits. Yeah. So yeah, they would, they would probably reuse them. So um, yeah. So it was, it was a necess- necessity for the story in a way, but I also I tried to think through it long and hard of how would this actually, you know, if, if I was a bad person, how would I do these things? And that, that's kind of the fun thing with fiction is you can, uh, um, you can create all these horrific things of how you would want to do it if you were a bad person, but you never would, but you just get to tell it in a story. So it's, it's, it's interesting. All right. You know, I meant I meant to ask you earlier, just even before we recorded where you were, you know, where where you're based, because you must have done a lot of D.C. based research, either living here. You go to so many restaurants and I love in in books when they actually eat, you know, you can read a whole book. And this is very true of insulin and no one ever takes a bite of food. And Jack Carr started writing a lot of the characters eating because he probably knew, you know, in the field on an op like you you still got to eat. Um You go to some really good places. You got the diner. You got Old Abbott Grill. You guys are out in Vienna. You've been, spent some time in D.C. or so. I lived in Richmond uh, okay. for a period of time, and I came up to D.C. quite a lot. I've not actually, I've not been to all of them there. Um, so what I'll do a lot of times is I try to write about places I know. Um, especially with COVID in last year, that makes it a little bit harder. Although I did go to New Orleans. I got out of New Orleans right before Ida and I actually wrote a chapter of breach of trust at cafe du monde oh, the wow. night before the hurricane struck. So that was kind of cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, I try to get to, try to get to all the locations I can or even places I've been um, to me. Um, I'm writing another book. I start another book. I'm not writing it now, but I, I got about a third of the way done through um, uh, it's a, it's a spawn from a character in the body man. Um, and I'm writing this story about this female assassin and I took part of this chapter I was writing um, at the Eiffel Tower from a story I experienced when I went to the Eiffel Tower when I was, I guess, 19 years old. Um, and so what's happening to the character mirrored what happened to me. Hmm. And most people wouldn't know that, of course. So I was able to take my real experience and give it to a character. And I changed it. I made it a lot cooler than my life is, clearly. Um, but anytime I can put those nuggets in there, it's something I read back on after or, or stories. I was telling you earlier in the interview um, 
that I have a, a friend uh, that I kill in the body man, but he has a ton of good stories. He was a veteran. Uh, he was in the Iraq war. And uh, um, man, if I can, you know, if people agree to it and want their stories in there. If I can take someone's real story and put it in there, right. um, of course, it will lend authenticity. Um, but it's also something they can have to go back and be like, hey, my story about what I did, it's in Eric's book. Um, I need stories. I need to make up stories. And also, if I can include people um, that I know or if I run a contest, I know how cool it is myself to have, you know, my name in a book you know, my name in a Jack Carr acknowledgement or whoever it might be. To me, that's super cool. Most people feel that way. Um, so if I'm going to use a name, I might as well put someone in there that's going to get something out of it at times. And then if I can have a story that someone shares with me and says, yeah, put this in a book. If it's a cool story, then if hey, it's, it's cool. A cool right, story. right. So, but yeah, so I spent a lot of time in DC, um, for sure. And, um, and then a lot of it, though, I'll just real quick finish that, that thought process, is if I don't know the area, or if I've not been to that city, I'll just try to do as much. And sometimes it's quick, you know, one night, because I don't have time to sit there for a month and watch documentaries and all that. But try to get online and see as much. And then Google Maps is like the greatest thing in the world. Right. right you right. can literally drop yourself in on a plaza at a park bench. You got all that right around. about D.C. Like You were going down 123 in Vienna or... Another one, you're uh, in Georgetown Cafe Bonaparte. Like I'm passing these places going to work every day. I, I literally yeah. could feel where I was in the city when reading your book. That's that's why I thought you might have lived here because everything you got right. I did get one. So I spent a lot of time. So we I lived in Richmond. We had an office up in Fairfax. So we went. We took 123 frequently. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that one I used to get stuck on or uh, to avoid 85 uh, or 95. Sorry. Um, I was on 123 frequently. Yeah. But that makes yeah, again, sense. some of that's just for, hey, I got to put a place in there. And I, if I can, if I can, I think I think it becomes more authentic if I can work off my memory or where I've been versus Google Maps or whatever. Um, so, and then, yeah, That's I get right. to share some of my story, um, through, through the written word, which is, you know, it's cool. I don't know if people yeah. think it's cool, but I think it's cool. So, yeah. Hey, just not to take too much time. You mentioned oh. one of your female characters. I loved, uh, you had mercy, the assassin kind of make giving me mm -hmm. Donatella Rom vibes from <laughs> Vince's work, but then you also had stone who, even though she's the rookie, man, she can hold her own and she had some sass yeah. and I love the zingers with her and pain. And how hard was it for you to write female characters in that way? But you created two real badasses that have the skills to back up, you know, they could talk the talk and walk the walk. Mm -hmm. How, how'd you, uh, how'd you craft them? Well, thank you for that. First of all, cause I'm, I'm a little more intimidated writing a female character only right. because I'm not female. <laughs> so right. I, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of females, you know, uh, but um, and a lot of times guys get it wrong. Right. You know, guys really don't know what a woman's thinking. <laughs> right. They might think we know what they're thinking. Right. It's probably the opposite. So that's what I do with the characters. What's the opposite of what probably, no, not really, but um, no, I just, I, I wanted to create, I knew who Eli was going to be before I knew. I knew I was going to give him a female character and he was going to be pissed about it. He wasn't going to like that. He's got the, the probie with him. Right. Doesn't like that at all. But I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to craft someone that could stand up to his bull basically. And that right. threw it right back at him. Oh, you she know, did. Talked oh, about his, his dad's music when white snake came on and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I just wanted to throw those zingers in there. Um, a, because they find them entertaining and, you know, B, because I think it's, 
it comes across as authentic, um, which is what I want. And again, like we were talking earlier, uh, the worst thing you can do is write a one dimensional character right. uh, that has no personality that you're not rooting for or rooting against. Right. Um, sometimes villains are the best ones to write because you can give them no moral compass. You can have them do whatever they dream because, you know, the Mitch Raps of the world um, or the Jack Ryan's of the world, all that. Well, they, they do have to live within this box of social norms and moral right and wrong um you don't have to have that necessarily when you're so sometimes villains can be more fun because you can take the gloves off um i don't know to me just writing characters is fun and if i can create a new one and it connects and mercy is one that uh, a writer a while ago read and he said um give her her own book Mm. i loved and and she's not in the body man very much um i needed a female assassin i need how do you get close to some of these people? Well, you know, the world goes around because of sex. So you have an attractive woman. She can pretty much get what she wants from a man. It probably shows how weak and, and ridiculous a man is, but that's what we are. And times. then she can stab you with an ice pick. And she can, she could share in stone basic instincts anytime she needs to basically. Yes. Yeah. I would love the backstory of her. Cause I was wondering, she was kind of dropped in as this experienced assassin. They say yes, the best in the world at sometimes. And again, that's just an opportunity to, uh, to build out that story. So I will tell you, I'll give you a super secret hint. When I wrote her in the body, man, I had very, she was a, 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 a minor character. Right. So I always come up with an idea for the minor characters, but it's not Chris Hottie that will give you the, what happens to them after the fact. And he probably has to think through it. Pretty that good. was really creative. What he did. With it was that. extremely yeah. first. That's the first time I ever saw that. And I was yeah. like, this is brilliant. It was. And I told him that um, Chris is a great guy, but um, so for Mercy, um, I did actually end up having to figure out to do another project where she came from. And her, her backstory is, it's horrific. It's amazing. And, and I think people will say, I can understand why she kills people. I, right. good, you go girl. Okay. Um, I give her a good reason of why she does what she does. Okay. And as flawed as she might be in the body, man, um, she does have a moral compass. She has a line she won't cross. Um, and so, and yeah, that's really the fun part of writing for me is trying to figure out what people's lines are. Again, they can't all be the same. So you have to have these different characters. You have to keep them straight, which that's the harder part sometimes. Um, but it sure is a heck of a lot of fun. And Mercy is a fun cat. Cat was a super fun. And, and some of the times I was worried I might go crossing the line with her. Um, there's a story that uh, happens with her in the high school that she's telling Eli about. That's um, how she got her nickname. And when I first wrote that, I was just like, ooh, man, is this one going to go over okay? Is this one going to get me in trouble? But the other thing I did with this book that I didn't always do with my first couple books is I said, you know, I don't know. I was trying to have some kind of a, I grew up with a very Christian background and I'm a, I'm a Christian person, but I tried with the first couple books to keep things as clean as possible. It wasn't Christian fiction, not anywhere near there, but there was also very few bad words. There was, you know, just my kids are going to read this one day with the body man. By that point, I had grown a lot as an author. And I've read so many books over the years. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be true to the characters for this book. So if I think this character is going to blast this person with a very bad word or very bad phrase, then that's what they do. Mm. Is my kids read this one day? Well, they're not going to read it now because I've told them they can't read the book. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they'll read it one day. My mom's read this book. I don't know how many times and I've waited for my mom to be like, my God, what did you say, Eric? No, I get the opposite. 
oh my goodness, that was so good. I'm like, oh, did you realize what she just said? But okay, you know, cool. You got to stay true to character, though. I you yeah, do. That, it's really important. Really and if important. I get past mom and screw what everyone else thinks, you know, and if you mom's okay with approval, this, right. it's dedicated to mom. So yeah. now we can publish it. Approval. Now we can go to print. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, something I meant to ask you earlier, the cover drop. I remember when you first posted it, I could I could just tell personally, I was, I was so happy of how excited you were. What yeah. was it like getting that cover? Because that that, that cover is is bold, it's crisp, it's, it's badass. harrowing, it's badass awesome. cover. Was that yeah, the Force Poseidon um, people? Um, yeah, Force Poseidon designed okay. the cover um, okay. in-house. Um, yeah, the cover and covers sell books. So I'm, right. I'm hoping when people see those books, they buy them for the cover. And then I would like them to read the words and go, well, these are really good words too, honestly. But, um, yeah, the cover was super, the, the whole thing's kind of surreal. Um, you work so hard to get to this point. And then when things start happening, you almost do pinch yourself a little bit. Um, and I, I remember that the, the day I saw the cover, I was just kind of like, whoa, whoa. Cause um, there's really good covers out there now. So I'm not knocking any of the covers I see, but there's sometimes I'll see a cover and I'll be like, eh, you know, it doesn't make me want to read the book. It's, right. it's okay image. And then some of the times you'll see covers that you're just like, wow, I got to read what's inside there. And I really think with this one, um, you know, they, they nailed it. They nailed what, and, and it, the cover in this one really does give you a glimpse of what the book's about too. It's not oh, just yeah. a cover that's drawing you in but it has nothing to do with the narrative. Right. No, Can't this one. And they did allow me to give some feedback. Um, I was fortunate that I did have, uh, I didn't have final approval or anything like that. Um, but I kind of gave some thoughts on what I thought would be on the cover. Um, and there was a couple iterations of it until they got to this final one. And once the final one, when I saw it for the first time, I'm like, you don't need to change anything. Else. That's I it. hope they That's go it. with this one. That's yeah. It. I, I, I'm looking forward to the day the cover sitting up here, a whole stack of them on my shelf here behind me. So I was going to say, did you, have you gotten a physical print of this? Are you, where's the live unboxing? Cause you know, we're going to need that I, video. I know. And I will gladly share that. So the only, uh, here, I was going to, if I can get in my Kindle here. Um, I did on my tablet though. When you sent me that that's, PDF, it's it all looks, I got right now still. It looks cool on social media, just seeing the picture of it and on and you know on yeah. the website and on Amazon. But the minute I opened it on my tablet and not my Kindle with the e ink, but my tablet that has the full high res screen, as a high res, yeah, and the colors just popped. It looked effing incredible. <laughs> it looks it, it looks spectacular. They did sure. and uh, the publisher even said that they said the red's really going to pop because the first version I had was like a PDF. And they came back and said, look, when, it, when you actually get it on a digital version, you're going to really be like, wow. Um, it's so true. No, I I did. Uh, I think I'm getting a, a copy soon. So, yeah, I will definitely, being me posting stuff online and doing videos and being stupid like I am at times, um, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know and I'll, I'll be posting some. But, yeah, that's kind of the next thing I'm looking forward to. So it's really cool to get the digital version. It's really cool to, you know, get my acknowledgments out there. The acknowledgments were one of the most fun parts of the book. And they're ones that I've tweaked probably the more than the book, honestly, in the last six months. Um, and I've, I've sent back multiple files going, can we change it one more time? And they're like, yes, Eric, you know, it's like, they're probably like, geez. Um, I wanted them to go in the front of the book. And I don't think the publisher would be mad that I say this, um, but they were too big and they just said, you know, they're going to go. In the yeah. back. Um, and I kind of was push trying to push to get them in the front. I know their reasoning behind it and I don't disagree with their reasoning, but um, I hope, I hope people will read the acknowledgements first. That's why I want them in the front of the book. Um, 
I intend that I'm going to, I have a three book contract. I intend that the body man is the start of something amazing, but you never know how life's going to turn out. So if I have one book out in my life and it's the body man, I want to be able to thank people because I really, I hope people realize the, um, uh, the sincerity when I say it is I didn't get this book published because of Eric Bishop. I got this book published and I got to this point because other people believed in me. Other people helped me. And to me, this is, yeah, this is my chance to say thank you again in the off chance, you know, might probably be a smaller section, maybe in the, but I don't know, maybe my knowledge was in the second book would be bigger. I don't know. No, it, it was, it was tasteful. And um, I know that's something Jack Carr did. I, I think he was the first one where I read his acknowledgements and I was like, man, just he's down to earth. And it, yeah. you know, it, it meant one thing to have the book published, but it meant another to have it published and be grateful and thankful to the people who helped you get there. And that same feeling I saw when I read through his acknowledgements came through with yours that it was heartfelt. The people deserved yeah. it. And you were going to make sure those pages got into the final print. That was one of the first questions I asked. I said is acknowledgements after the book was, after the deal was signed and everything, what's the rules on acknowledgements? And they're kind of like, what do you mean? Like, do I get to write what I want for acknowledgements? Like, yeah, why? I'm like, I don't want like one paragraph. I have a lot right. of people to thank. Um, and, you know, that was an important one for me. That was really important to be able to say those thank yous um, just to, you know, again, show those people that, man, I remember those things you said to me. I remember that support and my friends and family, I, I, I interact with an author recently. Um, so I'm drawing a blank who it was. And now I remember who it was. I'm, I'm reading his book now. Um, that, you know, kind of definitely made me sad as he said, his family and friends have not been supportive in this book. And I tell you what, I've had the opposite experience. My friends and family have been over the moon encouraging and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and just there in my corner. And man, I, it's, it's a lonely road to walk. Cause this is, you write your own book. It's a very, it is a lonely thing. I mean, it's, it's until you give that draft to someone or whatever you're doing completely on your own. Um, and then you're bringing in hopefully good people that can help make it even better. Um, but it can be a very lonely thing. And so to not have that support when that book comes out or, or when you've gone to all that effort, um, that's discouraging. So I definitely wanted everyone to know. And yeah, I had read Jack's, acknowledgements in the past and um didn't have that many people to thank as jack did but but his bleed through that he is 100 who he says he is he's a grateful veteran who is getting to live his dreams he's getting to thank people for all their support um and he wants them to know how much they mean to him so that that to me is really one of the top things in this process yeah. uh, it will be really nice to have a physical copy in my hands it'll be really nice to do some events. I kind of haven't with COVID with everything going on. I've not set anything up. I might do something in a couple of weeks, even if it's just local, I was going to do some stuff um, maybe up in New York and a few places. Then New York started putting a bunch of restrictions in place. And I just said, you know what, if I'm going to do an event, I want it to be a real event. I don't want it to have, you know, a lot of rules in place um, where people can uh, interact. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's that been the hardest. I mean, that's been weird. You know, my first three years of writing or, or uh, first three years that I was going to writing conferences after I'd written some books. Um, it was so cool to go to the events in the last two years. You know, there's no more events and they're starting to pick up now. People are starting to do them, but it's still hit or miss. Um, I'll be I'll be grateful when we're back to a degree of normalcy where you can actually go and meet people. And right. I'm definitely for you and uh, you and Chris, even like if I mean, if you guys made it to Thriller Fest next year. It would be a, a great experience for you. Yeah. Um, 
you never know someone else brought that up actually someone that we interviewed and we were like whoa never considered that but uh you can keep this you can keep this part here i'm about to tell you and you can play it back for him and use this as a plug david brown buys drinks because david bought me a drink so oh we're david in definitely owes you guys drinks. oh and then we're absolutely and there that, that's it that's the clincher you just go. close the deal <laughs> close the deal on that one. <laughs> oh, that's funny hey thanks for spending so much time with us and uh, i'm honored to do it i hope pub day is everything you hope it'd be and uh body man is so good that i expect it it will it'll be an awesome day for you I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll look, hopefully I've got a, I'll have a reason to come back on. So. All right. Take care. And thanks. Okay. Thanks so Mike. Much. Have a great night. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed that spoiler filled discussion. Mike had with Eric. What a, what a great guy. Nice to, to chat it up. Right. If you want to hear more from Eric, he did a great podcast on the Com Majors as a guest. You know our friends Brian, Jim, Katie from the Com Majors, who we've done some podcast work with. They invited Eric on to talk about his book, and they talked about their favorite movies. And yeah, really cool discussion. He talks more about his journey to becoming a published author with the Com Majors. So I would check out that episode that aired maybe a few weeks ago, sometime in November. That is the Calm Majors podcast. So next week, we will be either coming with you the first part of Order to Kill. No, not Order to Kill. We just did Order to Kill. Um, Enemy of Enemy the State. Enemy of the State. Not yes. at the gates. Not, not to be confused state. of at the gates. Enemy of the State, yes. Or an uh, interview. So don't quite know. We're up in the air. But uh, definitely, if you haven't read Enemy of the State or you want to freshen up, Go ahead and read that because we're going to be discussing it either not next week, but the following week. So again, we have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at MitchRapPod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.